Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Corey here, and I'm excited about the weather getting warm outside because that means it's time for one thing, and that's to get back out on the golf course. But before you start hitting the links with your buddies, make sure to make them jealous by rocking the coolest polos on the course. Whether you're a local scratch golfer, or you're just like me, and you just like to have fun, enjoy a few cold ones while playing, Sugar Caddy Threads is for you. They make polos that are lightweight, breathable, and stretch with your movement. Not only do they fit and feel incredible, they look awesome with bold, fun, and colorful prints that stand out. Also, Sugar Caddy Threads makes custom polos with your company's logo and designed to make sure you get attention. Go check out what I'm talking about. Check out their Instagram or visit sugarcaddythreads.com and look sweet, feel sweet, and play sweet. Welcome to the 100 Club Podcast, a show designed to elevate the game of senior living sales and marketing leaders. I'm your co-host, Michael Moy, and with me is Corey Mitchell. We're talking to leaders from all different positions and titles, giving you and your team a competitive edge to reach 100% occupancy. We're listening to season one. Let's get into it. Welcome to the 100 Club Podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Moy, and alongside with me, as always, is Corey Mitchell, and we have a great guest on the show today. Uh, it is Glenn Barclay. He is the uh, He's a partner and CEO of The Blake by QSL Management, and um, we're super happy to have you on the show. Welcome to uh, the 100 Club Podcast, Glenn. Welcome. Glenn. No, I'm glad to be here. I, um, you know, we've had a couple of conversations before, um, before taping today, and it's just fun talking to people that share your passion and, and just love talking about life. Also, you know, I, I, I'm excited about it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited, too. So you're co-founder of Blake Management, partner and CEO of the Blake Senior Living by QSO. You have a bachelor in finance from Louisiana Tech. My wife's from Louisiana, by the way, so shout out to Louisiana. Uh, yeah. okay. uh, master's in theology, a former RN, executive director, regional of operations. You've been in the senior living industry for over 15 years. And you're, you're based out of Pensacola Beach, Florida, which I now I'm super jealous that you live at the beach. Uh, and you're also a workout enthusiast. And if you guys can't see, he's 55 years old and he looks like he's our age. He's 35 years old. He's jacked. So he looks like he works out every <laughs> single day. So it's working. Uh, and he's, he's the type of guy who works out with no music. So that tells you everything you need to know about. Glenn. But I'm super excited because I, I think you're a trailblazer in the industry and you're always looking to see what we can do better. And that's the whole point of this whole podcast is to talk about things that we can do better. And you're leading that charge. So I have to ask just randomly, why would you join a sales and marketing podcast? Aren't you all in operations? Oh, uh, that man, that's a great question. I, I love sales and senior living. I mean, I, I love operations. I love the whole package, but there is something about really believing in what you do and sharing that with someone that, and, and knowing that it's going to make their life better. Um, and that's what I love about about sales. Um, every time I, you know, sometimes I do sales myself, you know, sometimes a family will, will contact me directly or occasionally, you know, a director of sales will call me and say, Hey, they really want to talk to you. Can you meet us at the building? Or we even have families that will travel to Pensacola and say, they want to 
They want to visit your building in Pensacola. And is it possible that you could have breakfast with them or lunch? And almost always, almost like 100% of the time, organically, that conversation ends with either I know your mom is going to love it here. You know, she's going to love it when she moves into the Blake and she's going to make new friends and, and you guys are going to love it as well as the family. I can't wait for you or your mom to move in. And only very occasionally do I, I respond differently because maybe there's, there is something, you know, better for them. Maybe, maybe independent living is better or, or, or somewhere else is better, but, but I I love what we do. I love senior living in general. I believe it's um, it, it's podcast. Plus, I've been watching it. You know, I, I think Michael will testify that when he started posting that he was going to start this this podcast, I was like, "Good for you." We need more of this type of thing in senior living, and so I, I'm glad you guys invited me on the show. You're, you're so, um, encouraging in terms of just like, I, you know, we've actually never even met, but I, I knew you from, you have a, a pretty strong LinkedIn presence and you do a really good job on just encouraging different providers, providing really positive content. And that's uh, something that I appreciate about you because, you know, you're the CEO, uh, you know, partner of a, a pretty big company. And so the fact of the, kind of how you're setting the stage of, you know, you've, you've got a lot on your plate, but your willingness to like even have lunch or breakfast with some of the prospective families says everything that we need to know about you. So, and honestly, um, not to make this too long winded, but like when I was listening to the, the podcast with John Gonzalez and you on it, exactly what you said at the beginning, it's just, conversation about shared passions about driving the industry forward and we just need more trailblazers like yourself uh talking you know talking about it sharing best practices and so thank you yeah first and foremost thank you for you know being who you are and being such a supporter of the industry as a whole well i i love Um, seeing young leaders also come into the industry and, and, and are passionate about it also. So I, I, I take notice of that, you know, um, there's a, I, I talked to a, a, a young uh, memory care and dementia consultant uh, that has a pretty strong um, a presence on LinkedIn also. And I remember her on LinkedIn starting out as a memory care coordinator um, you know, a small memory care director. And now she's a consultant and she's writing books and she's, you know, she's going to speak places. And I've followed her for probably 12, maybe even longer, maybe, maybe 15 years, probably maybe somewhere around 10 or 12 years. And I followed her and I've started connecting with her because I love watching young leaders get into senior living. Um, and I want to encourage that and I want to support it because there's not um, like a lot of if you go to college or or you go to university, there's not like a track or a specific path in senior living. And it's it's very difficult. Senior living's hard. You know, it has such a strong healthcare and clinical component, but it has a very strong hospitality component. And so you have to really have all that training and all that experience and all that passion for all of it. And so when I see young leaders come into it, 
I want to do everything I can to support them and encourage them because that's what we need. The industry is growing. It's going to continue to grow. The need is going to continue to be big. Um, and so I, I want to encourage that as much as I can. How did you become who you are today at a senior living company, your director of operations? How did you go from that to now you're owning your own senior living company? Without getting too spiritual, um, God just has a way. I mean, if you look at my background, I, I didn't intend to go in senior living. I, I can't tell you that I was I was, you know, young professional, knowing that I was going to be in senior living. That's where I ended up at. That's how my path just worked itself out to get me exactly where I need to be today. And I, I tell, you know, my son and I tell others who are his age, my son is 22. He's a senior in, in college about to graduate. And some, you know, I hear them talking and they're like, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. I'm like, it's going to work out, you know, follow your passion, you know, do what you love, you know, and it's going to work out, pursue that. But I, I always wanted to go into healthcare. My bachelor's is in finance. And honestly, in, in college, I didn't really know, but I, I knew I wanted a business background and I really liked finance uh, a whole lot. And I ended up working for a healthcare company to put myself through grad school. And I always had an interest in, in people and ministry, you know, caring for people and, and supporting people. So I felt led to, to go and get my master's in theology. And so I was working in healthcare at the time. And, and once I got my degree in, in theology, because I was in healthcare, I really felt like to be a leader in healthcare, I really needed a clinical background. So I went back and got my, I went back to school, went to nursing school, and then um, passed the boards to get my, my RN degree and um, worked in outpatient rehab, kind of working in long-term kind of disabilities and senior services of America. I saw this small um, community that needed an executive director. And I, I'm going to tell you, when I was in Dallas, I was, president of my company. I was president of the board of directors. We had grown from about, we had grown from one physical therapy clinic to probably about 20. We were in every medium size and large city in Texas and had probably 1500 employees um, working for me. And I took a job for a 60 unit assisted living facility in Pensacola. That's how bad I wanted to get into senior living. I always had been had gravitated toward um, older adults, even even as a child. I had always gravitated towards older adults and enjoyed never was scared of them, never was afraid of them. And I just knew somehow that that's where I needed to be. I took a huge pay cut. It was the best decision of my life. John Gonzalez gave me that first job um, at a small community in Pensacola. Within, it was a struggling, uh, it was at 67% occupancy. It was three years old. Um, it was bleeding about $80,000 in net operating income a month. And they said, it's going to take you about two, two and a half years to get this building where we need it to be. And we just focused on people, service, and hospitality, tweaked the marketing, really got excited for what we did, really started. Uh, looking at metrics like how long does it take us take us to get to to residents um when they when they call our average response time was 17 minutes 
when I started and we got it down in about a month to, to less than three minutes. That was our goal. Get to the resident, take care okay. of them within three minutes. Within six months, we were 100% occupied. So it just shows you what can happen when you really focus on, on the care and the people. And when I'm talking about people, I'm talking about your team, you know, making sure your team is supported, making sure they know what their mission, what their vision is. Um, and then within about four years, I was a regional director of operations. Um, and then I, I really uh, wanted to do something different than what I was seeing in senior living at the time. This was in the late, early 2000s, you know, maybe about 2004, 2005. Um, I started seeing a need for something a little bit more hospitality driven um, and a, a little bit more upscale. And I couldn't find it. I couldn't find what I was looking for. And the reason why I was looking is I was looking for my mother-in-law. And I went into every assisted living, every senior living in the panhandle. And I couldn't find anything that I felt comfortable with saying and feeling good about. And so <laughs> I went to a friend of mine and I said, you know what? I, I really can't find what I'm looking for. And he said, well, why don't you do it yourself? And I said, I, I can't do this myself. And he said, you can do anything you put your mind to. And that's where the Blake started right there. Um, I did a, a marketing plan, got some investors, got some really great partners. And we opened our first building in 2008 uh, in Gulf Breeze, Florida, the Blake at, at Gulf Breeze. And my mother-in-law was one of our, our first residents. And so that's the story. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> that is so, that is so cool. Um, and you're making it sound like it was so simple. I know that, that it was, it was so much hard work. Uh, that all happened over about, the, you got to take it. It's about a 15 year period to get me to that point, yeah. you know, it took some big, took a big decision to take that, that leap of faith to kind of leave a company that I worked with for 10 years and work myself up to, to a, a certain position that, that I, you know, that I, that I thought was what I aspired to be, but it wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. I, I realized I'm not, I'm not quite in the right seat on the bus. If you've heard that analogy. And that's when I, I saw the ad for an executive director at this little building. And I thought, man, I think that's what I want to do. I think, think that's where I'd be. And I thrived there. And I tell my, my team, my team knows I still thrive in that executive director position mentality. I love that. That was, that was my heart and passion. And I love that position. And I still call them all the time. And I'll talk to them individually, my executive directors. And I'm, I'm like, man, I know exactly what you're going through today. I've sat in that seat. I know what drives you. I know what can get you down. I know the, the struggles that you face. I know the success and the joy. And I know all that. And I, I, I call them to relive it and to encourage them because that's really where my passion was as an executive director. I I think that's so great. And then I think that, that actually plays really well into like just the sales and marketing efforts as a, as a whole, because I was actually, uh, Corey and I, we were having a conversation with uh, another VP of sales out in Texas, and they made an interesting comment on 
the executive directors kind of being the, the beginning and the end for your, your marketing efforts and not really, uh, it's not that talked about really how the executive directors have so much influence within that community and how much they can create the, the sales culture, like the adoption rate of your sales culture kind of starts and ends with your executive director. So speak, speak a little bit to the executive directors that might not be as, as sales minded, encouraging them to uh, kind of take, take the ownership and take the role of, of helping drive that charge. You, you really have to be excited about what you do. You know, it has to be organically and, and um, you have to be passionate about it. Um, I think, like you said, the best executive directors naturally gravitate towards sales because they naturally believe in the product and they know that the families that come through the door, the families that are calling on the phone, that they need that service. And you know what that service can provide to them. And if you really believe in it, you're naturally going to want to be a part of that, of that process. And I think that maybe executive directors that maybe are a little bit fearful about getting into sales, um, maybe they're not as comfortable. Um, they need to look at it that way. You know, they need to, it needs mm -hmm. to be natural. You know, when I was an executive director, I naturally would ask my sales team, you know, if they went out to do uh, outreach, you know, who did you talk to? What did you talk about? How did it go? You know, what's the next step? And that was naturally, I didn't know that that was actually something that I was supposed to be doing. I learned that later getting a sales training through build. If you've ever heard of build B I L D. Um, and they were saying, you know, this is the process. This is part of the process. And I was like, Oh, I'm doing that, but I'm doing it naturally. I didn't know there was a process. Now I know that you have to have processes for folks that that doesn't organically happen. Um, but I think it's about teaching them the mindset and really understanding the value of what you are bringing to the table. You know, I, I am a just a solid believer in senior living in general, not just the Blake. I believe in senior living. And so, you know, if anybody's out there listening, Believe in what you're doing and, and stop to take notice of the value that you're bringing. Stop and take notice of the changes that you that you see in both your residents and your families, because, you know, I've seen families come in completely stressed out. You know, uh, the daughter's not the daughter anymore. She's a total caretaker. Um, and, and the family is just you know, wiped out and exhausted. And to see that family come in and you're able to take on that load and you're able to give the role back to the family and you see them sitting at a table in your dining room laughing and enjoying each other because you're taking care of all those harder things behind the scenes, man, it's, it's hard to talk about without getting teared up. I mean, and if the executive director gets that, you know, and it's taking the time to notice that. And I, I don't know, internalizing it, they'll get more involved in sales organically. I wanted, like you said, the beginning and the end, I wanted to meet a family when they came in for a tour. And then I wanted to close out with them as much as possible um, at a tour. And then I wanted to follow up with them with a, with a note or, or a phone call in between somewhere in the process. Um, but it's because I believed in it so much and I knew that they needed to trust me as an executive director 
um, in order to place their mom there and feel good about it. Um, so if, if executive directors just kind of look at it that way and organically uh, try to let that happen, I think they'll be much more successful. Because I would tell my sales team all the time, it's like, I'm not checking up on you. I'm literally interested in what you're doing. You know, I, I'm excited about what you're doing. And so that's why I'm asking you all the questions, you know. So if you get excited about what you're doing, it's going to bleed over into all your other departments, whether it's dining, sales, wellness, transportation, housekeeping. They're going to be excited about it, too. And I believe you have to see the value, not just in sales, but in all those different departments and what they bring uh, to the table as far as enhancing and enriching the lives of the residents and, and the families that you serve. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Bill. So Tracy Bill was actually on our show. Um, was she? Well, I, yeah, I, I, she's that great. One. I need to go back and listen. She's great. Isn't yeah, she? she's amazing. So it's, yeah. it's, it's funny to hear that she had an impact on you as well, too, because she did on me. Did. Um, I want to talk a little bit about it sounds like you're you're integrating operations and sales and not separating operations and sales. So it kind of brings me to the model that you have today of what it is that you've built in a community. Like how many communities do you have? Are they assisted lives, assisted living, memory care? How do you market it? And then like the unit sizes, the unit sizes and um, how, just how you come up with that whole idea of what the model it is that you want, that you want to be out there. Um, you may know that we, we started Blake Management Group. We started the Blake brand in 2008, and we broke off into two separate companies. Blake Management Group still manages the Blake brand, but a, for a specific group of owners. And then QSL, the Blake, manages the Blake brand for specific owners. So my company now manages the Blake properties that I have an interest in. And we have 10 operating properties right now. Um, they are all Blake Blake properties. And then we have two in development. Our next two properties, one is uh, in construction phase right now in Daytona. And then we're getting started with site work in St. John's, which is near um, St. Augustine, Jacksonville area. Those are our, our two newest properties. Um, all of our properties are around 118 to 124 units. Um, it's not saying that we wouldn't go into a, a market that might not need that many units. If we did, to, based on the market, we may uh, build a building that's about 100 units, but that's about as low as we would go. Our typical model is between 118 to 124, 125 units, and the split is around 65 to 35%. So most of our buildings have 70 assisted living units, and 48 memory care, memory care units. And that's just a sweet spot for us. It's, it's a niche for us. We look for markets that can support it. So it's, we don't look for a market and then change our template and change our model much to fit that market. If our model doesn't fit that market, we don't go into that market. And I think we talked about that a little bit, a little bit previously. Um, but we like the model. It, it allows us to have the, the leadership that we need and the amenities that we need. Um, it has the scale that we need to, to, um, to meet our, our labor and wage requirements and our expense requirements. Um, so that's, that's how we've developed the model. Did that answer your question, Corey? Yeah, it did. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I like the, the more, um, the, the regional kind of footprint being able to like, like you, what you said, being able to be very involved with your communities and being able to, to jump into those breakfasts, jump in, you know, as, as you need, I think that's, it's incredible. But I think you bring up a good point on you've built a successful framework, you've built a successful model. So why would you, if, if you're not doing the proper research beforehand, on going into that certain market, why would you want to start building something that you need to kind of reinvent the wheel? Not to say right. that you guys aren't ad- adapting or evolving as, as things change, which we'll actually get into a lot because I think that you, you're doing a great job at evolving, but you guys know your bread and butter. You know the type of clientele, the kind of type of families that you're you're wanting to work with and it's been successful so far. So tell me if I'm, I'm wrong in that fact. No, you're you're very right, and and we talked a, a little bit about that. That it's not just the 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 unit size or 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 the footprint of our building, but we we really build our buildings for for a very low acuity resident. So we want to attract a very low acuity resident. So we're looking for that independent living resident to move into our building, which is licensed one hundred percent as assisted living. And choose us over the other option for independent living in the market. And so we built for independent living. And we really believe that you don't want to make another move. You know, you don't want to move into an independent living and either have to move out of that apartment into another apartment or move across campus or actually have to move off of that property onto another property because, a move is very difficult. You know, it's hard enough to make that decision to, to move into senior living, but to either to have to make that decision to move more than once is even more difficult. So we're trying to reduce that risk. So we build for independent living and we, we've been very successful. We choose a market that doesn't have a really strong independent living option, or maybe the option is only a CCRC where they have to put a big down payment down. And I'm kind of giving my secret sauce out here, but but we want to give that our, our pitch or, or what we really believe in sales is like you, we're going to make you an offer that you don't have to move again. And you can have all the amenities and all the freedom that you would have in an independent living model. You can move in. And then also, even if you move into an independent living, there may be times when you need that care. We're going to be there to provide that care for you, even if it's for a short term basis. And and you won't have to move or or or, or have you know a third party come in and take care of you because we're going to be there to do it. Man, that's that's a, that's so good to hear. And also something that strikes me is like the things that you do that I don't ever hear about out there. There may be other people out there that are that are doing it, but like if a resident at your place needs temporary care, they don't have to pay for it. That's right. If if they're if they're at an independent living setting that they don't they don't have a level of care they really don't have a service plan like a a care plan because they don't need hands-on care they're not receiving medication management but let's say that they go in for a surgery and they need short-term care when they come back we're going to provide that care um, without any increase to their to their rent or an an additional level of care charge so we don't we don't do the a la carte um, and that's kind of a, a really added bonus and value to the family that they can receive temporary care or let's say that they they got covid or let's say they got the flu 
um, and they need someone checking on them, but they're only going to need someone to check on them and to care for them maybe for two weeks, maybe four weeks if they're if they're um, if they're weak. Um, but if we think that they're going to move out of that and not require that care, we're not going to add a level of care charge to them at that time. We add the level of care where we know it's going to be a consistent service plan and they're going to need it from that day on forward. That adds so much value, I'm sure, as as someone's touring your your community and you're talking about those thing, type of things that no one else is doing, that builds so much value for someone to move in there. Other things that you're doing to, you've increased wages, so you did that even before COVID, and you actually have a new position, a director of retention officer at all community levels that you're rolling out. And so it's just, my question is, how do you come up with these ideas and how do you implement them and sell the investor on doing these types of th- types of ideas that you have? Because I'm sure a lot of people have like ideas how to fix problems and then they go to the investor and they say, no way. So how do you get past that hurdle? Uh, you start your own company. <laughs> That's why, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Just a little bit. I'm, I'm kidding. Just a little bit. Um, I, I think, again, it's not easy. I'm not going to act like it's easy. Um, and I know um, a lot of CEOs and teams out there, they, they struggle with this, you know, meeting the net operating income expectations, meeting the margin expectations. Um, but I think it comes with believing in what you what you're what you're selling again and believing in it strongly enough to to I don't want to say put your foot down, but to say to believe in it strongly enough in it to say, this is exactly what we need to do. This is in the long term. This is going to bring a greater return on your investment than anything else that we can do right now. And so you mentioned that we're we're rolling out the director of retention and recruit um, recruitment position. And this is a director level position at all of our all of our properties. And it's something that took me about three years to get sold and into our budget. So the first thing that we did is we piloted at a, at a property where the ownership was very favorable to the idea. So first we piloted, checked our, our, our turnover rates, checked agency utilization, checked overtime, and we were able to prove this position brings value. Um, and we believe that it can bring even more value if we make it consistent across all of our properties. And so that's how we how we sold it. And I want to tell a little bit because the people that are listening might not have any idea. Well, what does a director of retention and recruitment do? Um, It's it really came from the idea of look at how we are treating an inquiry that comes in for a resident. Look how we are are treating a resident moving in to the property. Look how much time and attention and process we have around that 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 particular um, operation that we do. And so we took the move-in process, the inquiry and sales process, and the move-in process, and we are layering that process and that philosophy over onto moving in employees. And so it, if you think about an inquiry that comes in, you know, you want to get that inquiry, you want to answer their questions. And your next step is you want to get them in for a tour um, and you want to move them, get them into a deposit. And you want that move in to be perfect, flawless. You know, you treat it like gold. We're taking that entire process over and, and laying it over to an applicant. And then that applicant 
accepting a position, and then that applicant actually being hired and moving in to to your property. It was very tempting. You know, I had some owners come back and say, hey, what if you just did this at the corporate level? What if you just made this position at a corporate level, and then you could spread the cost over all your properties, and they could affect change that way. We really felt like it was a grassroots position. We want that person recruiting from churches, from colleges. We want them to be engaged when the applicant walks in. When a resident walks in or, or an inquiry walks in, a prospect, we make sure they get something to drink. We may take them to the coffee shop. Hey, order anything out of the coffee shop you know, that you want. We're prompt to, to get to them. We want to do the same thing for an applicant. And to do that, how can you do that? without having somebody there dedicated to do that. Can your ED do that? Not all the time. Can your director of wellness, can your director of business operations? Not all the time. Your concierge can't even do that all the time. So we felt like it needed to be at that, at that property level. And, and that's, how, that's how we sold it. And we really believe it's going to reduce turnover. It's going to bring a higher quality of employee. And what's the number one thing that you want when someone tours your building? You want them to see an immediate difference. You want your differentiator, your primary differentiator to be your people. You know, you may have the most beautiful building in your market, but your people have to be the differentiator. That's what's going to sell your building. And that's, that's what's going to bring joy and going to bring peace of mind to your families. And so that's, that's the ROI. That's the return on the investment that we are banking on um, for our investors and for our owners and for our residents and, 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 um, and family members, because they're the ones that are also, you know, they're paying for it every month. So we want that return on investment also on what they're paying for. All the health and wellness directors and all of the business office managers that are going through this process of, uh, recruiting, trying to pass off the the candidates are just literally clapping like literally are just like can we take this model because i think what you you're 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 striking on gold right now and i'm excited because it's going to be a conversation like this because i don't think that a lot of people would even think about it like that to have a local level you know grassroots marketing effort to be able to to provide that seamless experience because i think ultimately and i don't know i think I don't know the numbers behind this, but I do think it's staggering about how many people that would come into a community and they would get the job, they'd be excited about it, but the experience of getting onboarded wasn't really that phenomenal. And then they ended up choosing somewhere else to go. And that's like, it's just, it's staggering to think like if we're trying to to solve this staffing or retention, why wouldn't we think about trying to treat it as the same as, as that that move in, stay in for, for your family and for your residents. So I think everybody that's, um, that's hearing this are just like clapping their hands, uh, thanking you and, and hoping that they could implement something like this. And then to tag along with it, you're doing something similar. So not a lot of people are doing the actual move in process really well, but you, you've decided to, to, to up your game and make the, the move in process, uh, a phenomenal experience. So why don't you share a little bit about your, your move-in coordinators? Uh, so it's, it's kind of like a concierge, you know, to, to help you with all the details. Um, 
and, and just to take as much anxiety out of that that process as possible and and having a dedicated person that's just you know man i wish i had someone even when i moved just from a house to another house i wish i had a moving coordinator that could have told us how to do that <laughs> do that better i told you that we we've been in our house for three years and i still have boxes in storage um just to have that that personal experience and and that concierge type of experience i think is is really important um and it also frees your your sales director to stay in the sales zone you know we talk about the sales zone a lot and you know your director of sales is not having to do that all along they have someone that's dedicated to helping um with all those details everything from from scheduling the movers to to making sure the room is ready and checking the room with your director of facilities maintenance and and going through all those checklists and everything they handle all of that the welcome um the welcome basket the the customized gift that you want your your move in to have the sign on the door all of that um even down to you know making sure that they have their their nurse call pendant those kind of things their activity calendar the moving count the moving coordinator also helps introduce them to other residents and make sure the director of activities they're handling all of that process um and you want that to be as special as possible and our one of our i would say anytime we talk about if you if you have a, your most important core value, I don't know if you're supposed to have a most important core value, but when we talk about, you know, people ask me, what's the core value that really drives your company? And we have our, our core value is joy. And so to experience joy, you have to remove as much anxiety as possible. I, I call anxiety the thief of joy. It's the opposite uh, of joy. It's the enemy of joy. So if we can remove as much anxiety out of that process and away from our families, then they're going to be able to experience more joy. And you really want that that move in to be joyful. And let's really let's really think about that. This is a hard decision. It's also a decision that you know may be the last move that you make in your life, right? And so that can just, that can be very daunting. So the more we can make that joyful and happy and take away, you know, the hard stuff from our families and let them really see it that way and experience that way, we're doing a, a great service um, to the families. Yeah, absolutely. You want to make that move in process as easy as possible for the families and that i'm sure that helps with you know just the whole aspect of a family stalling thinking about it more if you make that process easier it makes them move in faster too i would imagine i remember right. as sales director we would have a huge move-in month we would get 10 11 deposits and then the next month we would have a really low month and it was because we would spend so much time now that we had exactly. those people that were moving in doing all the paperwork following up with them and all of our time spent now on those 10, 11 people. Right. Now that you have a, a moving coordinator, you have a director of sales, assistant director of sales, and a moving coordinator. So basically three sales positions at your communities. So it is, allows the director of sales and assistant to stay in that sales. So they're constantly selling. They're constantly reaching out to leads that they need to. And so that's why your your model is, is so awesome and, and what you guys are doing there. That's just another way that you think forward and, and put your money where your mouth is and you put the roles in the places that you need to in order to be successful instead of trying to take shortcuts, which I think a lot of other people do. Like you mentioned with, with the new position you had, putting it out every community level, I think a lot of operators will say, let's just have our business office manager do that in their free time. 
and you're just overwhelming people in other positions and it's just a trickle down effect to where it just slowly declines mm-hmm. and you're overworking people. I yeah. want to I want to steer this a little bit to agency and how you go about getting agency either out of your building or never having them come in at all. Um I, I think we, we may have some agency folks listen to this. Yeah. So there is a place for agency. But in senior living, um, there I, I kind of have two things that I try at all costs to keep out of my building mediocrity and agency, um, because both of those erode your culture. If they are, if, if an agency is used incorrectly, it, it will erode your, your culture because they don't know your values and they're not bought in and engaged. They haven't gone through your onboarding process. Um, and also they're in, they're in other buildings and have other, um, I guess uh, other places that are demanding their attention and their loyalty. So, for example, in February, out of our 10 properties, we used eight hours of agency. So virtually agency free. It's really a philosophy and just it's something that we talk about a lot. You have to talk about the things that are important to you so that, you know, your team understands this is a priority that we don't want to use agency. But then you also have to do things like have a director of retention and recruitment to help them. You have to have good wages. You have to look at your your benefit structure. You have to make sure that your culture is right, that your training is right. There's a lot to do to make sure that that can happen. You can't just send down a message, no agency. You know, you have to have the support and and the systems and the processes there in order in order to meet that goal. But they also have to understand why the why behind agency. The minute that agency comes into the building, you are sending a message to your entire team that you have a backup plan. That's not them. That you're uh, you're you're putting your your trust in someone else to come in and take care of the residents. That you have this other basket that you're trusting to take care of your residents. And that that's a very mixed signal to send to to those that are that work for you and that are your team members caring for your residents. Um, and so I don't want to send that message. It, it also in, actually encourages call-ins. Well, you have agency. So I'll just, I, I won't show up today and you'll just call agency, you know? And they also have to understand the why, the, the, the deeper why is because it is much safer to provide care to your residents with the team members that know the residents and that have been trained and onboarded by your, with your values and your mission than to have someone else coming in. Um, So they have to understand that it's because you value your team so much that you know that your team is going to take the best care of your residents. So why would you want agency to come in and be a substitution to that? And if if everybody from the top to the frontline staff understand that that is the real reason it's for the safety it's for it's to maintain the integrity of the culture it's because it's going to provide a a better outcome for your residents then everyone understands the importance and it's not just a money issue it's not just a you know a, 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 a something that they don't understand it really helps them to see the value and what they are bringing to your mission and 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 the value that they are actually bringing themselves to your residents. So we rarely have any agency. With that said, 
you know, agency is for a time when you have a pandemic. So I'm not, I'm not unaware of that, you know, you know, that's what it's used for. It's used for um, unprecedented times or, or very non-routine situations like, you know, a hurricane or, or a pandemic, but it should always have a start and a stop time. It's not to be built into your budgets. You know, we don't have any agency dollars in our budgets. And I don't think you should because the, the mindset should be, we are not going to have agency in our buildings because we are going to invest in our own people, in our own processes. How are you communicating that with your your frontline team? Because I think that that's so crucial for them to have a level of accountability uh, and a sense of empowerment and purpose behind what they do. The way that you just said it, you know, they have um, because because we've decided to stay with no agency, we're not putting in our budget, we're not doing it, we're putting our foot in the ground. And because of that, you are taking better care of these loved ones and you get the opportunity to do that every single day. That gets me fired up. But how are you communicating that to your frontline team, um, you know, each and every day? First of all, you got to clearly articulate it to your to your senior leadership and then to your executive teams and your and your property level leadership teams. Make sure that they understand that so that they are articulating it to the frontline staff. Um, you got to make sure you're present in your buildings through your regional uh, VPs of operations or, or regional directors of operations, whichever term that you use. You got to make sure that they are conveying that to your teams. Um, we have focus calls pretty much for every director position. So we're articulating that through our, through our focus calls every month. Um, we have executive director summits that we bring executive directors together. So we had our last one in December. We're having one in March. We're bringing our director of wellnesses um, in for that. So we're kind of having a wellness executive director summit in March. We have um, more than one a year. I know a lot of senior um uh, operators, operators out there maybe have one, but we probably are going to have three year, three this year. Um, because I feel like bringing everybody together and making sure everybody really understands your mission and what you're working towards, um, enables them to convey that more accurately and more confidently and more competently, um, at the property level. One other thing yeah. is, um, my, uh, chief operating officer and I, and we're doing a tour of all the buildings next week. So there's certain things that, that we're going to convey when we go to the building. And most of those are, you know, our priorities and our mission statement and culture related. So we're going to do that next week. We are starting on Tuesday. We finish up on Thursday, but we're visiting all of our properties and spending two to three hours at every property, just a COO and a CEO to go in and, our, and really talk to frontline staff, talk to our leadership talk about what our mission and what our goals, we have priorities for this year. We have our overall mission, right? But we have priorities for this year and, and very specific things that we're shooting for this year. And one of them is the team experience. It's really the Blake experience. We're focusing on the team experience, the resident and family experience, the ownership experience. And I'm missing somebody, team experience, the ownership, and the I'm, I'm missing somebody, but oh, the resident experience, resident experience. Um, <laughs> We're focusing on the Blake experience in general and everything that we're doing, our platform changes that we're going through this year, the addition of the, the of the new director to the leadership team for retention and recruitment. All of that 
is is really geared to support the Blake experience. So we're going out to to talk about that one on one and and in group situations as a CEO and COO at the property level. But okay, so I, I love the fact that you are you're making an intent like everything that you guys are doing is is with an intentional approach, even just with the one on ones, with the focus talks, even by committing to three summits uh, a year. I think shares again it, the, the the overarching theme of what I'm collecting is you just want uh, just a ton amount, just a uh, an overarchingly um, amount of investment into your team. And I think that it, you could tell me I'm, if I'm wrong, but you know, that the team, if you're taking care of your team, then a byproduct of that is you're taking care of the residents. And I, I think with driving in the culture, with driving in the, the intentionality, but then also, so this might be a hot take, tell me I'm wrong in this, but I think culture speaks a, a, a lot about uh, the retention and uh, your drive to do more good, but then also paying more. I think wages are a huge factor. And I, I hear all the time, like, you know, we're, we see a lot of data that actually suggests that people aren't leaving because of money. And I, I think it's just because of purpose and all this stuff. And I'm like, maybe, but maybe not. I think maybe we're we're missing out on some really good talent in terms of your frontline care team, uh, from your CNAs to your caregivers to your LPNs, if we are able to pay them better. And I think that's something that you guys are doing a really good job at. And from the last conversation that we were having, you were even suggesting, you know, you're you're about to to look at another another round of, of pay raises. So walk to, you know, walk through that process and maybe share the model that you guys uh, take in terms of the aggressive pay bonuses and pay structures. This is the hardest, you know, and, and, and again, it's, it's kind of putting your mouth. What's, what's, what's that saying? But before you putting the money where your mouth is. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. yeah I got it. Good. Thank you. Thank you guys for helping me out. Um, <laughs> It's the hardest. We we started before COVID. You know, we we saw it coming, but we had to do it again um, after COVID. And I, I I said I think maybe a week or co uh, ago to you guys that we're looking at it again this morning. Just since we're talking about it um, on CNN Business, it said yet another key measure of inflation ticked higher at the start of the year, rising at its fastest pace in nearly forty years. So. I mean, I felt it already. You know, I, I I felt. I said, I don't. I don't think we're at where we're where we need to be again. I think we need to look at it again. Um, and you know, budgets are set, but it's it's again, it's it's the people, you know. And and we if we want to be the premier, that's part of our a, a very small segment of our mission statements that we want to be the premier senior living provider in our markets, and that means we want to be the best. We want to be who everybody is looking at. And if we're going to be the best, we have to have the best people and we have to pay the best. So we work with our HR partner and we work with our, our, our payroll partner and we do studies and look at, you know, what is what's the average pay? And we, we can actually see, you know, what. 50% of the providers are paying what 60% are, you know, 90%, let's say 90% are paying 50, $15 an hour, you know, and uh, are, are only 10%. I'm sorry, let me do that backwards. Let me clear that up. Let's say only 10% of your competitors are paying at $15 an hour and everybody else is paying 
paying less. So do I want to come in and pay $15 an hour? Um, that would be a pretty good place to be, right? To, to be paying $15 an hour. Probably if I want to get the best, I have to put the money where my mouth is. So I, I need to pay the top. If I want to be the premier provider, and maybe that's not your goal. Maybe your goal isn't to be the premier provider, but that's my goal is to be the premier provider. So I'm going to have to pay the best in my markets. Um, and you have to stay on top of it. You know, we do other things, bonuses and incentives, and we spend a lot of time, you know, just, just doing kind of fun things for our employees. You know, we'll just randomly order new t-shirts with a, with, with something on them and send them out to employees. Um, sometimes we'll do, you know, like a, a week of one day we did uh, one time we did 14 days of appreciating your, your team members. And, and for 14 days straight, we did something kind of special every single day. They got a gift or they had a party or they had a meal or they got a t-shirt or, you know, so we do stuff like that, but we also look at wages really seriously and wages continue to rise quicker than we can keep up with them, you know? And so, you know, you just have to have to stay on top of that. And you, and of course you have to measure how are you going to meet your NOI and your margins? Believe me, I understand that, but I also understand that I'm not going to be able to do that if I am providing an inferior product. And if I can't attract the best talent and the best available um, a worker applicant that believes in what we're doing, then I'm not going to be able to meet that NOI anyway, right? It's your operations that sell. Yes, you have to have a great sales process. And we could talk, we could have a whole, um, we could have a whole podcast just on the sales process and how it breaks down and how you lose prospects. But I guarantee you lose more prospects with inferior operations than an inferior sales process. If that if that candidate, if that prospect doesn't walk through your building and feel like this is where mom needs to be, they're not going to make a deposit, you know, or they're going to delay deposit, right? We've seen where we have improved operations, where we have put the right executive director in place and we have shored up our operations. We've seen that sales process compact, come down, where maybe it was taking us 45 days to make that deposit. We've been able to see that compressed down because we had the right leadership and the operations were, were improved. So even though we were getting the deposit, when we saw the improvement in operations, that sales process was compressed because mom or you know the prospect or, or the daughter said, I need to make this deposit right now because I feel that my mom is gonna, gonna thrive here. So I don't remember your question. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was know, great. I do know that we were talking about it. people <laughs> that we're talking about people and, and that's what sells. And so raising wages is going to bring the, the right return on investment. It, let's say that you're like, but I can't raise wages because I've, I've done the cost analysis and it's not it's not going to come out right. Where you're going to lose is in sales because you're not going to have the right people. And so you're not going to hit your revenue. And you're going to have turnover and you're going to have agency in your building and your operations are going to suffer. And so you're not going to hit the revenue. And we all know that's where that when we usually miss the NOI, except during the pandemic period, it was both revenue and expenses. It's usually in your revenue. 
it's usually in the revenue that you don't hit your NOI and you don't hit your margins. Um, so that's what I would say to folks that are looking at it and they're doing the cost analysis and they're like, we can't do it. You're going to miss it on your sales. You're going to miss it in your revenue and your and your expenses are going to be up anyway because you're going to have the turnover and the overtime and burning out your staff and possibly agency in your building. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't help but think it must be really easy for your sales directors to get move-ins at your communities, the operations. I think a lot of times the, the sales directors, if the sales aren't there, they get the blame a lot of times without these operations or these companies really looking at the operations as well too. There's a look at what that person is selling. Like, are they making it a no brainer to move in? Well, if you're slowing down that process cause you have agency, excuse me, agency in the building and all of the operations isn't working. Well, how are you expect that person to hit these numbers that you're expecting? But I, I, I want to ask about the increased wages as well too. Are you, are you seeing results by paying, your care team more, your frontline more, or your community level people more money. Do you have actual results that you're seeing? And are you trying to hit certain ratios, care to staff ratios better than your competitors as well too? Yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely seeing results. We're, I mean, one, we don't have agency. Overtime has, has gone down, but it's still really hard. That's why two weeks ago, I told you guys, I think it's time to look at wages again, because even though we're doing better, and also keep in mind, we just got the director of recruitment and retention uh, position hired at all of our all of our buildings. Their training is, I think it's in two weeks. It's in in March. We're bringing them all to our our home office, and we're doing a week of training with them. And that's where I think the real difference is is going to be made. So to answer your question, it's yes. We're seeing progress now that wages continue to be inflated. They're continuing to go up. The, 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 the workforce is continues to be extremely difficult. I think we're looking at possibly having to do another one. In fact, we have a call with a specific um, um, property that's struggling. I, I think it's either later today or, 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 or on Monday with the executive director to say, what can we do with your wages um, to help? so that you're not in a position in three months now that you're really struggling. If you're struggling now, what do we need to do right now to, to prevent that struggle from turning into, you know, something bigger? And don't get me wrong, all of this is hard. This is, this is really hard, you know, and that's why communication and articulating the reasons why and really trying to support your teams, bringing your team together to really accomplish this it takes a lot of work and a lot of focus. It's reminding me, um, I don't know if you, uh, I listened to the Andy Stanley podcast and he actually had one, um, it was like how to make better decisions. And he was talking about one of his points was if there's tension, you have to pay attention or it, it, pay attention to the tension. And what I'm finding right now is that there's a lot of tension with these wages. There's a lot of tension with just uh, trying to hit operating numbers, you know, hitting your NOI, hitting revenue goals. And what you're explaining is, yes, it's, it's hard, uh, but we have to pay attention to it. And we have to make that investment in the willingness to, to say, you know, hey, we're, we're going to anchor down and we're going to find a, uh, a solution because if we're, if we're saying that we're wanting to be the premier provider, we have to back that up with actually actual results. 
And the way that you provide those results are, you know, not to say it again, but putting your money where your mouth is and actually executing on it and, and tracking to see if you're getting those results. So highly commend with what you're doing, because I think um, it's a lot easier said than done. And I think a lot of people can look back at it and be like, you know, would I rather better margins or would I rather have happier residents and a more um, just a, a rewarding business model. I think that's what you guys are, are doing. So I commend you. And Michael, think about it this way too. On, on, on the other hand, on the other there, you always have to look at your ROI on, on what you're doing. You just, like you said, that is our goal is to have, is to have a better culture and prove better uh, our, our culture to have a great resident experience all of that, but we want to be very good stewards for the asset that our owners and investors have given us. And so, and what we're doing, what I'm looking at is that there may be a short-term strain on your margin, but the longer-term vision is going to pay out. Because if you stay in this cycle, if you stay in the cycle of turning over your employees and you stay in a cycle of not having a a consistent um, culture, then you're going to just stay. You're going to stay behind. And, you know, I've watched I've, I've been doing this, you know, a long time, not just in senior living. And I've watched budgets go and they're like, you know, well, we can't afford that. You know, we can't afford, let's just take the director of retention and recruitment. We can't, we can't afford that director of retention and recruitment because it's, it's hurting our NOI. It may put a strain on your NOI, but I'm banking on in the future, we're going to have better margins than our competitors that aren't paying enough attention to their team members and not, not investing in that, in that process. And I see budgets get approved. And at the end of the year, they're way off, not in expenses, in revenue. They didn't meet the revenue mm-hmm. because the operations didn't support the sales. And so mm-hmm. people miss that. You know, they're like, okay, we can't have that expense because it's hurting our margin. But then at the end of the year, they didn't meet their revenue. And then they do the same thing next year. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna budget that we're gonna net three or four months and and we're going to do the same thing in expenses and the budget looks much better than what we actually performed last year. And then at the end of the next year, it's the same, they missed the revenue again. So mm-hmm. we're banking on investing in our operations and our people is in the long term going to get us, we're actually going to exceed our budgets in the future. You know, we're, we're going, we're going to have the better NOI and margins because we're investing now and we're going to be able to command the highest rates in the market, but to command the highest rates in the market, you got to be the best and you got to have the best people and you got to pay the most. I mean, it's all that works together. And in the end, it's, it's going to get you the ROI. I'm banking on that. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's just an amazing business model. And I think that's what it's going to take for the senior living industry to get out of this cycle that you're talking about of just this reoccurring, like, well, that is so sales focused and, and we're, this is coming from two salespeople. So we understand the sales side of it, but 
from that seat, we also have to see how the operations is so crucial. And if we're failing at the operations, then what are we asking our people to do? I mean, get the operations down and, it, and not just for the sake of senior living, but for the for our seniors and for us when we have to be there. Right. So it's, it's you're, you're seeing these problems that are out there and you're one of the people out that are finding solutions and implementing them and not taking no for an answer. You're finding a way to get these things done in the community. Um, you're like I said, you're always seeking ways to do it better. And even though you increase wages, you could just hang your hat on that and be like, yep, I, I raised wages before COVID. Everybody look at me. I'm so great. You're doing it again because you just realize like we're still not where we need to be. We need to do it again. And some people out there probably like, wages, wow. Go ahead. The wages isn't enough. You exactly. know, you, it's, it's all about that. Like I talked about, you know, that move in process for your employees. The number one reason why an employee, but why frontline employee, no calls and no shows just gives up is because they have anxiety related to the job that they're performing, meaning they haven't been well-trained and they're like, I, I just can't come in and do it another day. I'm just not even going to show up. I'm not going to return texts. I'm not going to return calls. It's too stressful and I'm just not going to do it. So we want to, like, again, our core value joy is not just for our residents and our families and guests is for our employees. It's a, it's a core jo- uh, value for everyone. And we have an aspirational goal of fun. And an aspiration goal means you're admitting that you're not there yet. And that's hard to do, but we actually had fun as a, as a value. We took it out because we didn't feel like we were there yet. So we just put it as an aspirational. We still want to get there. We want it to be fun, but we know it's still really hard right now. And we're still, we're still trying to work to, to get our culture and to get our processes where they need to be. But that joy process is for our employees too. And if you have joy, like I said, you got to remove the anxiety as much of it as you can. And I can't think of much more anxious or, or, or something that would make me more anxiety to, to walk into an apartment and have to care for somebody and not really have the tools, resources, and the competency to do that. Um, and so it's been proven that one in healthcare in general, that's, the number one reason why folks just give up because they have anxiety and they haven't been trained well enough to do the job that you gave them to do. It's kind of sobering, isn't it? Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it truly is. Glenn, I know that you have no intentions on uh, bringing the Blake to Atlanta, but how can I convince you otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> man atlanta has some <laughs> uh, some really incredible providers there you have some really great operators um in atlanta i'd like to uh, atlanta's not off the books for us um we've just found those areas that our niche works um uh, works and doesn't mean that we're not going to be in atlanta but you have some really great providers in atlanta i know a few of them <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm giving you a hard time because I'm I'm just thinking about my grandparents and, you know, one day my parents and I'm like, man, I'm I'm fired up. I would love to for them to be the Blake, um, just knowing you as a person and just the from the spiritual background, the your your values and and everything that embodied this conversation. So I know that we're better for it to know Corey is better for it. I'm better for it. And our listeners uh, are, are the same. So. We're going to let you go, Glenn, but uh, is there anything that you would like to share just as kind of your 
um, just maybe a, a word of encouragement or something to, to share with the listeners to, uh, to remain positive during these tough times? Um, just know the value of what you do. Um, I get choked up about it, especially executive directors. I think it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. I really do. It's really hard. That, that executive director job is hard. Um, but there's so much value and joy in it. I, I, I tell my executive directors, you know, go visit with those residents that, that fill your gas tank again. You know, there's, there's those residents that, that get you and know how hard you work and know how hard it is. And they love you, you know, take time, get, get out from that desk and go spend some time with them. Uh, when you're doing your rounds, really try to engage with your team members um, and, and, and your residents. Don't, don't not do your rounding and don't not spend time, you know, one-on-one -on -one with some residents every single day to get your gas tank back full, because there's a lot that can steal that joy in a day, you know? So when you, when you fill that gas tank, gas tank start, um, when you're on low and that gas light is on, um, take some time to go get some loving, uh, from your residents, you know, go, go visit with them, go sit down with them and they'll fill your tank back up. So I guess that's the best advice that I can give. Man. Thank you so much. Glenn. Today, there were so many great takeaways today. Um, it's just people, I mean, you're just inspiring to me that you're, you're doing these things out there and you're pushing the in industry forward. So I just want to say, keep, keep moving forward, man. Keep pushing, um, keep going through those hard things. We know to move this industry forward, it's going to be hard, but it takes people who aren't afraid to, to push through those hard, hard things to get it accomplished. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much again, Glenn. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Um, and until next time.